Do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Because if you do... Welcome back to Let's Talk Movies. I'm Brad. <laughs> and you're muted, dude. And uh, guess what, guys? Do you guys like Phil Miguel... Collins? <laughs> Miguel is more of a Phil Collins guy. Well, what I'm about Whitney Houston? Collins. What yeah. about Whitney Houston? You Whitney, Whitney Houston, Houston is just underrated. <laughs> underrated as she'll all get out. So, Whitney Houston is underrated? That's what he said at the time. Well, I guess at the time, I don't know. What's the other thing? I'm just, I'm just spitting out lines now at this point. <laughs> I by no I means believe what he, the social said. Looking, but now that she, I know, right? Looking back, it's like, uh, Whitney Houston's considered like the queen of pop. Like you have like Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, and then you have Prince, and then who? Who's Tina the, Turner. Is Tina Turner the like yep. the Tina the, Turner's up there? Yeah. The, yep. The princess of pop. Yeah, I don't know, but. Uh, what is, what on, is pop? A monarchy? What the fuck? I don't, I don't know. Uh, on episode number 14 of Purely and Simply Evil, uh, we are taking a deep dive into American Psycho. We are going to look into the psyche deep into that shit. Uh, no, we're Patrick not. We're Bateman's just going to talk mind. about the fucked up shit that goes on in this movie. And then, uh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. This is going to be more of like a character study, honestly. Like a, a lot of, you know... Even a lot of the interviews I found with Brett Ellis, who wrote the the novel, if you don't know American Psycho, is based on a novel of the same name. Um, a lot of the interviews are very much like everything that happens. Uh, I think it was written very much from a perspective of Patrick Bateman's psyche. Like every single event in the movie is basically a uh, you get another little piece. You know, it's it's like you. You know, you have this story about this wealthy banker and it's almost, you know, at the beginning, it, you get the little tidbit where it just kind of like slaps you in the face when he he gives her the two drink tickets at the bar. And she's like, we don't accept them anymore. What do you and he see he tells her what drink he wants. And then she turns around and you see him in the mirror and he's like, I want to stab you to death and then play in your blood, you stupid bitch or whatever. Or whatever he says. It's like, God damn. Like, like whoa, like, where are we coming from? And I was wondering, uh, and I have a couple of theories in regards to like when certain moments start and when certain moment ends in regards to his psyche yeah. and his uh, complete um, spiral down the rabbit hole of his own mind. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into it, Miguel, my friend, what you drinking? I am drinking, my man, the most basic ass beer you could think of, Miller Lite, because I mean, even though if I'm going to drink hey. beer, I like to lose some weight. There's nothing wrong with drinking a Miller Lite. I I like the listen Miller High Life. There's nothing wrong. I have I had a couple of in my fridge. We went camping a couple uh, last week, like a week ago. And you brought Miller Lite. I took a couple of Miller High Lifes. Yeah. Oh, it's Miller nice. High Life. Okay, I got you. Yeah, so yeah. like you know, it's a, he, it's he a wants to he'll, he'll spend an extra couple of cents on you know I will. Uh, mediocrity. I go I go all out. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm having one of those Blackberry Alates with some um, with some uh, Evan Williams in it. I, mm-hmm. I know it's Evan Williams. It's not like great whiskey, but we or bourbon. But we didn't have a we didn't have a big selection. Um, I've seen one thing I've wanted to try with this is you take I think it's two ounces of the Blackberry Ale Eight plus uh, or no a, a bottle of the Blackberry Ale Eight, two ounces of whatever bourbon. But you also take mint and fresh blackberries and muddle it at the bottom with some simple syrup, and it's supposed to be great. So I really want to try for the that. new L8 you, Blackberry. Yeah, have you had the Blackberry L8? 
I have. I've had it. It's pretty good. It's good. I, mean, I like it. I like just, it way better than... A, it's just a blueberry soda in my eyes. Well, I'm just not... I'm not really super big. Kentucky people don't kill me. I'm not super big on normal L8. Like, every once in a while, I can drink one. But Julia loves it. Yeah, she I could drink it all the time. Yeah, I'm not that big of a... When it comes to soda, really the only soda I drink is Coke, or, Coke and Pepsi. And I've branched out a little bit because I, I really like that Coke Starlight that nobody can place a flavor on. That, like, limited edition thing. It's, it says, like, tastes like space or something like that. Um, and Coke I like Starlight? that. Starlight? I've never it, heard of that. Yeah, it's new. It, it's... I get... Um, I've seen some people say cotton candy. I've seen some people say, like, the red, white, and blue popsicle. Like, it's... It, it just says tastes like space. It's pretty ambiguous. When did this come out? Uh, this had been, like... This had to have been like it's six been hours ago because I had no, it's been never a couple, seen it's this been a couple before of in my months. life. It's been a couple of months. I have never seen that before in my life. So yeah, well, I I really like the I like the normal one, but I got the we were my my I went traveling with my parents a couple weeks ago to go see some family, and uh, we we were in BFE Georgia, like literally middle of nowhere Georgia, and. Uh, I, we, there was a, of course, there was a, a dollar store there. So we pull in the dollar store and I left and I was like, crap, all they have is like the Coke Zero version of it, which Coke Zero is fine on its own. But the Coke Zero Starlight, I was like, <laughs> it was not good. It was not very good. Um, and then you the me, Pepsi. You want me to give you the rundown? You want me to give you the rundown of what the flavor is? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, give it to I me. It it, give it to me, Earl. No, but it's like, I it's, don't know. Uh, what... It says, according to Eater, astronomers discovered a dust cloud in the Milky Way made up of ethanol formate, the same chemical that gives raspberries their flavor. So it's really just raspberry. Uh, there's more to it than raspberry, though. I'm going to say it's just raspberry. There's more to it than raspberry. It's very strange. Yeah, sugar. Nobody... Nobody's been, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> syrup, nobody's been able to place a flavor on it yet, but I mean, it's, it's interesting. It, it's different. Also, have you tried the, uh, we're supposed to be talking about a serial killer on a movie and we're talking about soda, um, or pop as y'all like to call it. You like Coca-Cola uh, Starlight? <laughs> you like Pepsi Nitro? Have you had Pepsi Nitro yet? <laughs> I have. Do you like it? It's just flat. It's just it's just flat Pepsi. I don't know what. No, the big it's not is. flat Pepsi. It's different. It's like consistency of a beer. Like it even it's says like on flat the can, Pepsi. Hard it's flat like, Pepsi that literally over. someone put in like some fucking milk in there, and that's pretty much it to give it a creamy flavor or some creamer of some some thing. So yeah, it's also nothing new. I prefer if I'm gonna drink something like that, like a nitro. I why not just get a fucking Guinness. And it says it says you can't drink it out of the can. You got to put it in a glass. But when am I ever gonna like you know if I'm out of, if I'm out if I'm on the road and I'm at a speedway? Which shout out to speedway. And if I want like a like a Pepsi neat like Nitro, like bro, I'm not gonna carry a glass so I can drink it. No, I just want to drink it out of the can. But they say don't drink it out of the can. It's better. It's better. It says on the can. It says it's better in a glass. But like yeah, yeah sure. I'm, if I'm ever at you know a Meyer, shout out to Meyer. If I'm ever there, just you know. Fine, I'll buy one. I don't care. <laughs> but in other words, I don't. I'm not gonna. You're not gonna find me buying a, uh, buy me a, a Pepsi Nitro. Shout out to Pepsi. 
yeah yeah i, I don't know I, I get it um yeah i'm always down to figure out like what i can mix a drink with like what like what can i like I, i'm i get in like these kicks of like i want to try new cocktails and stuff and i'm i'm have you tried cyanide myself. yes it's great okay i love yeah. it a little bit of a kick a little bit of bite a little bit of a kick it's got <laughs> we're kidding by the way uh so let's talk american psycho man um so as I said in our commentary, it's interesting that we're moving from uh, a horror comedy with an American werewolf in London, which we just did with Frank and Darren of the Slaughtered Lane Movie Podcast. Shout out to you awesome dudes. Um, kind of, we're, we're, we shifted to another horror comedy, but we didn't necessarily mean to um, because the, the focus of this season uh, was to um, – the focus Sound of this season – I know the focus of this season was to take a deep dive into the Elm Street franchise, which we are going to be doing next. I promise next episode we'll hop back into Elm Street and we'll stay on Elm Street for a little while. Um, but the even though you could consider these as both horror comedies, an American Werewolf in London and American Psycho both have comedic elements, but they both have they're different in, in ways, too. You know, they're both very visceral at times. Um, although honestly, I think you could argue that American Werewolf in London has more violence and more gore than this really has. This doesn't. Re this is more. This kind of creatively leaves things up to the imagination in terms of the way Patrick Bateman kills people, um, the deaths. So, uh, this leaves a lot up to the imagination, you know. Um, so mm -hmm. it, it's kind of interesting that we're kind of making that shift. Although, this, wouldn't you wouldn't you agree that this one's a little more satirical though than than American Werewolf? I would say. I would say American Werewolf in London and American Psycho are pretty much just satires of some sort of uh, horror element or something like that, or something based in reality, or, or at that time of at that time of place, like you know, at some point in yeah. some, somebody's lives. So, but I would agree with you. The gore aspect between the two, American Werewolf in London, by far does have more gore. Yeah, and I think the fact that Amer that uh, American Psycho, the gore, was pretty much left up to like your imagination, or was just kind of like left up in the air, kind of gave it a little bit more. It it did, it did so in service of the story, if that makes sense. In my eyes, the the neglect of the amount of gore in these scenes was to help further the story of right what Patrick Bateman was going through. So. Well, it's almost it's it's the famous Dave McRae thing. If you watch his channel, um, Theater of the Got Mind, it's, it's like what it's what you don't see that is the cool thing. That's what made um, the original Halloween so great, you know. And this is the thing about American Psycho too is it's extremely hardcore. Like it's very extreme. It's very taboo in how it tells the story. It's very everything. It's not just making you know a, an American Werewolf in London. The comedy is there just to be comedy. This movie is mm -hmm. trying to make a statement about um, the many different issues. I mean, feminism. There's violence against the Asian community. There's violence in general. There's this whole com uh, not commun. Oh my god, not communism. Uh, consumerism and money and what both <laughs> communism. Are two polar different. Uh, uh, I know, right? I know. Um, they, they both start with com, though. Uh, but it, it's just very interesting. Like it, it's. It's very, like I said, it's, it's extreme. It's, it's not, you know, I showed Julia this movie last year or year or two ago, and I figured she'd like it because she's a reader. She likes things that are based on novels. Um, and 
she actually got up and left halfway through. We were watching it, and she was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, what? It's it's at that point when Christian Bale is sitting there, and he he's having the threesome with the chicks, and he looks at the camera, and he goes, <laughs> it's at that point. And she was like, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Um, Which, by the way, I got to say, guys, do you know how hard it is to make a commentary when that scene comes on? It's like, I don't know what to fucking say in that in that regard. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. Go get him, buddy. I probably said something like, how <laughs> stealth? Like, what? I said, What'd go get say? him, buddy. Go get him, oh buddy. Oh, my God. I was probably, I probably said something along the lines of like, bro, how like fucking self-centered are you that you're just going to flex Darren while you're having like, you had literally have three women or two women on top of you and you're just flexing yourself in the mirror. It's like, bro, how self-centered sociopaths do you, are you to just do that? I don't know. But one thing I would say though, you did ruin the opportunity for me and Sarah to watch it. Cause I actually really wanted her to see this and I wanted to see like how far she would get into the movie. But you, but your guys is your guys is like like preface of this movie, and I was like, hey, hun, do you want to go watch this movie now? And she's like, I'm good, I don't want to. And I was like, come on, you I think give it's it a good. Shot. Listen, Sierra, give it a shot. At least give it a shot. It it's it's mm. listen. It's actually pretty feminist and pretty. Uh, it, it's actually there's a lot of it's really to not it. like it. No, but it's it's because it's so it's because it's so extreme. Like that's the thing. It's. It's making a statement by how extreme it is, you know, that's how kind of how I see it. And honestly, some of the I pulled a couple of quotes from interviews with the director and the writer. And I I think we'll we'll kind of expand on that in just a few minutes. But I have to acknowledge the fact that Jaded is in the house. What's going on, man? Nice to see you here. Um, I like doing night shows. Honestly, I feel like more people can can hang out on night shows, which I I dig. Um, So. This was first shown at the Sundance Film Festival in January of 2000, but it had its actual theatrical release on April 14th. Um, It was directed by a woman director, uh, Mary Heron, and it was written by two women. It was written by Mary. The the screenplay was written by Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner. Um, Again, based on what they went against one of their own. They went against their own. Can you believe that? They made a movie about that to make a statement, make it to make a statement. For the sake of art. Um, you know, the the other reason this movie is so well done is because of its stacked cast. And make no mistake, it's got a stacked cast. I mean, you have Christian Bale as the lead, which we're going to talk about that in just a minute. They did not want Christian Bale. The studio was like, no. Like, they did not want him to do this. Uh, you had Willem Dafoe as the detective. You had Jared Leto. Uh, it's Morbin time. <laughs> you had Samantha <laughs> Mathis, who actually played... Uh, I told Miguel this on our commentary. Uh, Samantha Mathis played uh, Frank Castle's wife in Tom Jane John Travolta's Punisher film from 2004. Um, and then you also even have Reese Witherspoon, which who doesn't have a huge, huge role. Um, Josh Lucas, who was in uh, A Beautiful Mind, he was also the dickhead general in Hulk from an Eric Bana's Hulk movie. Um, I mean, the cast is pretty stacked, wouldn't you say? It's got a good group of people in it. You forgot to mention uh, Justin Thoreau, man. Oh, yeah, and Justin Thoreau's in it. I, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Man, it's, it really does. It's got a lot of good people. And it blows my mind. I'm going to drink here. It blows my mind that they didn't want Christian Bale because it's like, dude, Christian Bale freaking annihilated this role. Like, mm-hmm. he he knocked it out of the damn park um, in a way that I don't know that a lot of people could have. And one uh, thing that really surprised me with this cast was 
like this was the start of like uh, a lot of people's like the amount of people that I know in the movie like industry that like have like are pretty like well known he that had a small role in this movie. What the fuck did I just say, guys? It was not me this time. It was not me that yeah, screwed up. Got me right him. there. But you know who I'm talking about the the <laughs> the hobo on the side of the street, Reggie uh, Kathy. Yeah. One, I think, I think it was Patrick Bateman's first victim that we saw at least. Yeah, the when he, the guy yeah. that he, he acted like he was being nice to him, and then he, you know, <laughs> up and like shanked the hell out of him. Which he was in a lot of great movies. Like, I mean, I remember him from like The Mask, The Wire. If you guys haven't checked out yeah. The Wire, go check that out. He was also in House of Cards. You know, Luke Cage. He's in a mm-hmm. lot of good movies. So like, yeah. and for him to have such a small moment in the movie. It just really astounds me, like how old this movie is. You know what I mean? Like yeah. no, like most of these actors, like even Willem Dafoe, him playing just a detective, mm-hmm. and even though he did have a, like a decent amount of lines, his his role was still pretty small. Like we didn't get to see much of his like yeah, well, character develop. He was just there to continue to perpetuate uh, Christian Bale's Patrick Bateman. Yes. And Jaded, your comment here, Jaded says that the, uh, this movie has so many layers, the more I rewatch it, I'm convinced now he never killed anybody. It was all a psychotic break he experienced. And I'm glad you say that because I was actually getting ready to say you had mentioned Willem Dafoe's character with the detective. You know, it, it's not even just Patrick Bateman who has layers here. Onions have layers. Uh, but, you know, even Willem Dafoe, like they purposely shot his like different takes of his scenes and told him that was a terrible burp and told him to uh act different ways like one it like one time they told him hey act like you you ha- you're on to patrick bateman like you know he was a serial killer and then in another take act like oh you don't know like you're just talking to him as a witness like he doesn't believe it's him at all and then and in another take act like oh you're kind of on the fence like uh he may have done it but i also am not sure and they edited bits and pieces of the three of those together. So even Willem Dafoe's performance has different layers to the point where as an audience member, you're like, does, is he onto him? Like, is, does he have evidence that we don't know about? Are the questions that he's asking Patrick Bateman leading him? Yeah. Like trying to mm-hmm. lead him on and get him to say something that he shouldn't. Um, so you're exactly right about the, uh, the layers of this thing. Um, had a budget of $7 million gross just under, uh 34 point well 34 and a half million dollars at the global box office so it did pretty well um an adaptation again of brett easton ellis 91 1901 now could you imagine if this came out in 1901 people would have rioted in the streets um of the same name <laughs> nobody even would the, watch it. i know uh and even the nobody will watch it now i know right? i would say this before we before we start like delving into it i will say this this movie would not survive no. 2022. I don't know if you could have released it and done the same thing that you would have done today. Like, I don't, but, I really, I mean, you may have, it would fine. On the flip but... side, though, it may be the movie that we need now. Who knows? It's a coin toss right there. It's 50 50 whether it would be completely black sheeped or it'd be yeah. welcomed with open arms as a statement. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, even the original novel, though, when it was released in 91, it was super controversial. Um, because of the themes that it emphasizes, the themes that it brings up. You know, it's a play on social norms and capitalism, but it's also, you know, the consumerism and the greed of North America. It's got the violence in general, violence against women, violence against, you know, so many different groups. Um, It's very, like we said before, it's taboo. And 
uh, he basically this is what um, what Mr. Ellis had to say about the origin and the idea. Um, this is an exact quote. He says, "Now this is the author prefacing this. This is the author of the novel, not the not a writer of the screenplay." He said, Bateman was crazy the same way I was. He did not come out of me sitting down and wanting to write a grand sweeping indictment of yuppie culture. It initiated because of my own isolation and alienation at a point in my life. I was living like Patrick Bateman. I was slipping into a consumerist kind of void that was supposed to give me confidence and make me feel good about myself, but just made me feel worse and worse and worse about myself. That is where the tension of American Psycho came from. It wasn't that I was going to make up the serial killer on Wall Street. High concept, fantastic. It came from a much more personal place, and that's something that I've only been admitting in the last year or so. I was so on the defensive because of the reaction to that book that I wasn't able to talk about it on that level. So, I mean, American Psycho is really a stab at, no pun intended, um, at consumerism and uh, and those types of things. And I mean, you know, it, it, first when I started reading that and he said about, you know, he was crazy the same way I was, I was like, check his file. Check his file. <laughs> I was like, uh, check his file uh, now. Uh, 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 uh. Well, the um, phone. Where you at? But, but the more and more I thought about that, wouldn't you say we all have a level of, you know, because we live in such a society that's more and more, you need more money, you need more stuff, you need a better car, a better house, a nicer job, a better, you need, everything's got to be better, you need everything to be better. Um, and I, I think that's kind of an interesting concept in and of itself, you know, because if you look at, if you look at the characters, not even just Patrick Bateman, but if you look at, uh, at, uh, hey, Paul, if you look at all the, the people that he's with, all of the, his, his colleagues and stuff, even the business cards, like it, it's so, they're so, you know, women and money and food and all of that stuff is so expendable to them. But when you look at their business card or you look at their house, like Patrick Bateman, when he walks in uh, Paul Allen's house and he's like, shit, it's nicer than mine or whatever, or, you know, or something like that. And the, there's even a line that I like Patrick Bateman's house more than fucking Paul's. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but it, it's just like there are certain things that are so superficial to them and so surface level. You know what I mean? I mean, do you think we're all kind of like that to some extent? Honestly, man, I think it goes further. I think it goes further down the rabbit hole than we think in this in regards to this movie. Because how can I say this? Yes, as it delve into the idea of consumerism and the idea of like you know everybody's uh, as like a consumer of everything hot and new, and yeah. always wanting to impress someone else. But I think yeah, and that's like a that's like an important topic in this movie. But whenever it delves into like the fucking like psychotic breaks and psychotic uh thoughts that goes on in patrick bateman's head i think that's something that a lot of a lot of people don't really realize is like how easy it is to easy to 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 like jump into that rabbit hole like all of us are without a doubt tempted to have or all of us are capable of having these types of thoughts that whether or not you believe is real or not if it's yeah. not true and this is just patrick bateman's uh uh mental state and everything that's in his head that's like a statement in itself in regards to like how like all of us are capable of having these dark like really yeah. diabolical yeah. thoughts mm -hmm. and it just so happens that patrick bateman delved into it but never came back out like he stayed in that psychotic world that he created in his yeah. head 
and that's where like you get all of these different types of uh mental like uh breaks or psychotic breaks or disorders or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. he he gets into his own world the world that he created when he delves so far into like the depths of what he what we what i like to call is like our own shadow which is like our dark side our 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 process of like our our capability of like absolute fucking horrific actions so yeah. not only does it involve like you know, the idea of outside, uh, you know, consumerism and like superficial uh, actions of our day to day lives of someone or someone of the one percent. It also delves into the idea of like, you know, of someone that doesn't feel like they have enough or like they're not satisfied enough. So right. they're trying to figure out what is something that they can fill in their sh- fill, fill the void in their in their heart. And for some people, it is like, you know, really like dark shit, like what gives them pleasure. And sometimes it is dark shit. And you'd be surprised to find out that there's a lot of people that think like that. And it's low-key scary to think about it. But nonetheless, it's an important thing to think about when you're, whenever you watch this movie. Because it's like, oh, Patrick Bateman is capable of thinking just that. And he's a one percenter, top of the class. Yeah. Like, literally, like, biggest, like, top of the tax bracket. And he still has these mental thoughts. That means literally anyone down here in, like, you know, middle class or lower class or yeah. whatever class you think of is capable of having these like dark horrific thoughts no matter what kind of person you are what kind of silver spoon is stuck stuck right up your ass so it's a surprise finger fucked up (laughs) really fucked up movie when you think about it well when you go when you get past like all of like the horrific shit that you see so yeah and and jaded brings up another good point he says oh yeah society nowadays has surpassed those levels of consumerism of the 80s to the point we sell our privacy hundreds of times each day online for practically nothing i mean you're you're right even that is like uh it's just it it, it's kind of an examination of what you know again what what's expendable to us like you know in, in order to have this your privacy is just expendable. I, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think, you know, even when, when you see the way that they talk about uh, their money and the way that they talk about women, especially women, the way they talk about drugs, the way they talk about material possessions, it's almost like things like, like the things that should matter, like people and your job. And that's all just expendable to them. All they care about is what makes them look better compared to the next guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. um it, well it's, it's interesting yeah i would say that when it comes another another uh little spark notes to think about is the fact that most of these people that you see because it's just patrick bateman right now that's that we see right. in his mind of like how like empty he is and what he's trying to do to fill the void and that's mainly because he the ideology that all of his peers and all of his even his uh significant others like they all are trying to find something so superficial to fill up the void that they have inside them, which is like, you know, clothes, money, cards, recognition, I, all of that. And they are able to find something. They are able to find something, whether it's a business card or status or money. Every single one of them is able to find something. Or like, fuck, the, what, at the end of the movie, when, when one of them was like, I don't care what we eat as long as we have a reservation. Like that yeah. feeling right there is enough to help him feel uh, satisfied in life. Yeah, it's not about uh, after food. all of Yeah, it's not even about the food for him. Every single one of every single one of the people in that movie have something that fills that hole inside their heart, except Patrick Bateman. So that's when he starts going into his little psychotic break because he finally real. I think Patrick Bateman finally realized that this whole like consumerism thing is not necessarily something that 
will that will fill his void. It's something else, something deeper, darker in his own uh his yeah. own viewpoint. So yeah, just the amount of layers that you have in this fucking movie is critically uh acclaimed that you definitely should like watch it like multiple times to find out what exactly is is going on in regards to everyone else, not just Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Honestly, I, I like that you said fill the void because you know there is a void there and he like he fills it with the murder and whatever else which it, that whether it's in his head or not is another conversation but <clears throat> you know it also goes to show you like money isn't everything you know what uh-huh. i mean your job isn't everything like the way you treat mm-hmm. people your relationships with people that's everything you know what i mean mm-hmm. your material possessions whether he, he has a nicer apartment than you although let's be honest patrick bateman's apartment really was better i liked it better like what um, the fuck and jaded i do see your comment and i'm gonna get there in just a second but uh you know when you look at patrick bateman you know you could say a lot of those things for all of those guys all the one percenters as you call them but when you look at patrick bateman specifically you know he he's very superficial he's it's almost like he's ocd and he's very particular about things but uh in the word in the the words and the words of our great freddie mercury nothing really matters (laughs) like nothing matters to him like it really doesn't it's almost Mm -hmm. like he's going through the motions of his life he gets what he wants when he wants when he wants or where he wants it because he's at the top of this capitalistic food chain he's got money he's good looking his appearance is flawless but underneath of all of that, he's a freaking he's insane. He's a sociopath. He's a narcissist. Um, yep. And he's actually an interesting character. Like he he doesn't care about anybody but himself. And, you know, kind of what Jay did just said, there's a lot of symbolism in the facial mask thing and the the his 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 morning routine that he goes his through every day. Um, you know, you, that's a good point. We put we all put on our best face before facing society each day and you could even argue why was he why the hell does he need to use his uh you know i i use a two-part facial wash before using a mango wash before using a cucumber wash and then shoving it up my ass five times no like it's like it's like but like what you know what i mean like why like what's the point of why it 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 goes back to the whole like it's just it's even if you look at uh, if you look at social media, people always put their best foot forward. They're always going to put their best face forward. They're going to show you what they want to show you. And Patrick Bateman is doing the same thing. He's going to show you what he wants you to see. Uh, Jaded says, give a man a mask and he will tell you the truth. That's, per- that's perfect. Perfect. Um, that's pretty good. And I found this other quote from Jennifer Krauss who wrote an analysis on the novel and the whole the character of Patrick Bateman. And I wanted to share it because I even thought it was really... It was a very profound, um, I guess you'd say, explanation of the character. She said, on the one hand is a rich Wall Street banker, Bateman, concerned and very self-conscious about every detail of his physical appearance, expensive possessions, and the control of people in the world around him. But on the other hand, the inner self of Patrick Bateman, the aboriginal self who copes and relinquishes his outer complications and fake identity created by consumerism through violence on other human beings who he finds consumable that's very important he finds other human beings consumable and expresses absolute control of his desires and true self through his violent fantasies his consumer artificial self proceeding in society as a wealthy consumer excuse me, would live and spend his income versus his natural self, who instead of spending money, 
would hunt and prey on the weak and vulnerable, usually women whom he deems expendable. Bateman treats the people around him just like any other consumer product because of the void he still battles with. There's what you were saying about the void and wishes to fulfill from within. Hence having dual personas, having the dull artificial identity compared to his free limitless persona of his mind. Damn. So would you say that, would you say if you want to talk about his like split personality thing, would you say that, uh, Patrick Bateman's split personality in regards when it comes to like Paul Allen and all that stuff. I'm Patricia. No, I don't. Would it? Would <laughs> it? Would it? Would you think that? Would you think that that's him attempting to create another persona in his life or in his head to see if he could fill a void in that personality, and if it doesn't work out, he can always switch back to his other. I don't know. I because if you think about it, because if you think about it, like obviously in the movie, you like you're starting to p- puzzle together that. Uh, maybe Paul, maybe uh, Patrick Bateman bought uh Paul Allen's uh place, and he just made that you know Paul as Paul Allen's place. That's fair. So maybe Patrick. So it's like, so like it's it's so weird because when he makes a split personality, it's it's so fucked up because whenever he's jealous of like Paul Allen or Davis or Patrick Bateman, he's actually jealous of himself. So he's he's like in a never ending circle of like. Oh, I wish I had that, or oh, I wish I could have what Davis had, or I wish I could have what Paul Allen has. So it's like it's such a weird like circle that he has with one another, or even like a love triangle of like wanting more of what he doesn't have. Yeah, and it's well, just his personalities in itself. I think that's interesting, and I think there's, I think there's something to be said about, you know, I to me. I always kind of took the the pretending to be Paul thing and all of that stuff as he's trying to cover up what he did. Um, I, I guess you could argue, and even watching it a second time, or you know, I, I've seen it more than twice, but I even watching it this this most recent time, I, I've kind of been like, maybe that there maybe there is something more to this dual personality. Maybe he was really embodying Paul Allen. Or maybe he's really embodied. Shoot, based on the end when the guy calls him, what does he call him? Davis, I think. Is it Davis? Yeah, Davis. When he calls him Davis, it's almost like there's a second there where you're like, is Patrick Bateman real? Like exactly, is he a real person? Like what? Like what is really mm-hmm. going on here? Um, so I, I guess you could argue that it is more of a persona, a dual split personality type thing where he he's trying to fill that void with other personalities. But I think there's also something to be said about the fact that he's trying to cover up the fact that he killed Paul. If the, if he really did it and it wasn't all in his head, um, it, it's definitely up for interpretation. I mean, if you know, well, that's, that's the thing. Just, Paul Allen that, never died. I know, but that's, so that's kind of something that, you know, is interesting. Like you don't know. And I, we're actually going to get into this in a minute. Um, when we kind of talk about the production and the response to the movie, because you don't, we, as an audience member, we don't really know uh, what it, there, obviously Paul Allen did not die. We, we found that out at the end of the film, unless that was all in his brain too. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, but 
there's kind of it's left up to interpretation what he and I know you said you have some thoughts on thoughts on this, but like what he actually did versus what he made up in his head. You know, um, Jaded says to me, it was more of a split between his adult self and his inner child, just like a child. When he gets jealous, he can't express feelings. He becomes violent and has a tantrum with the strength of an adult. That's a very that's very insightful, mm. too. Um, I was I was about to not agree with you until you said the strength. Of the until you said the tantrum of a child, the strength of an adult. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, and even like kind of talking about the production a little bit. The novel was extremely controversial. I mean, it was on the banned book list. Uh, it's it's shrink wrapped in other countries because of how hardcore it is. And Brett Ellis didn't think that a, a movie adaptation didn't like. He he thought it didn't need to be made. And speaking of the whole did he do it versus did he not do it thing. He felt like it wouldn't translate well because um, of Patrick Bateman's character, you know, and I think in the time since the release, he he stated that it wouldn't he thought that it wouldn't work because even as the author of the novel, he couldn't figure out whether or not the things that Patrick Bateman was doing were real events or hallucinations or just in his mind or whether they were just blatant lies, whether it's to the audience, to himself like, in other words, he's so crazy. How do you begin to figure out as an audience member what's real and what's not? You know what I mean? But again, mm-hmm. the fact that we're having this conversation, that's part of what makes it interesting is the fact that it's like, you get to kind of go through that in your head. It's like, what the hell is I? Yeah, is it real? Is it not real? Like, what What exactly? You know what I mean? But that I think that's part of what makes the movie interesting, you know? And I've never read the novel. I, I actually would kind of like to. Um I'm not much of a big reader, but I, I, I wouldn't mind trying to give it a shot. Uh, scary horror movies. What's going on? He says, hi, guys. Sorry, I'm late. Just got back from a Father's Day with my dad. Oh, we didn't even. Happy, no, happy Father's, Father's Day, Day, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Scary horror movies. Happy Father's Day to your dad. Um, happy Father's Day to all you awesome dads out there. I, we Shout forgot, out to the dads. I completely forgot to say, hey, to dads everywhere. To dads. To Patrick Bateman's dad, who is probably not in the picture. No, not in the picture at all. Otherwise, this movie would never happen. <laughs> I'm kidding. But happy Father's Day, everybody. Um, so, you know, this, speaking about the production a little bit, uh, this movie, like many other horror flicks, kind of had a tortured production. It was really hard to get this thing off the ground and running. The first round of discussions actually went back and happened um, in, like, to adapt it in 1992. So a year after the book came out, um, Edward Pressman, who was a film producer, bought the rights to it. And now at that time, you'll find this interesting. Johnny Depp showed a lot of interest in wanting to play Patrick Bateman. And I'd, have, I'd love to have seen what, what Johnny Depp would have brought to the role. Could you imagine him in the role of Patrick Bateman? Johnny Depp? Yeah, that'd be pretty sick. Honestly, I don't know. if there was anybody. But I feel Chris like at Dumel, that time, he was pretty much him. too pretty boy. You know what I mean? fair yeah it was too much of a pretty boy which again makes sense to the whole like you know young american banker they're supposed to be like young charismatic and you know handsome so it it could it could it could have worked but what what's hard for me right now is like it's insane to think that america like uh like if american psycho didn't like have christian bale as uh patrick bateman it's almost as if like well who else could have done it yeah and well, I honestly could not have seen even Leonardo DiCaprio doing it, which is, I don't know if you mentioned that, if well, he was the one that could have been there. 
that's where that's where we're getting ready to go because there were a slew of people that were actually mm-hmm. uh, that the studio wanted because as I said the studio did not want uh, Christian Bale. So after the after the original talks in '92 fell through, um, Brad Pitt was set to star as Patrick Bateman, and David Cronenberg was attached to direct. But the problem was. From what I understand, they wanted to change a lot of the sequences from the book, and uh, Brett Ellis was not real happy about that. Um, I mean, hell, he was already on the fence about wanting to turn it into a movie anyway. So, you know, it, he was he was already kind of hanging off the side of not wanting to do it at all. But I think the fact that they wanted to change so much of it, you know, especially since, you know, I mean, look at look at Harry Potter. Look at, look at any mo- novel adaptation. They leave a lot of things out, you know. And then at that point, Ellis was was grabbed. He was going to help pen the script for it, but he was bored with it. He sat for it for like three years. He was tired of the idea. He was over it. Uh, I read that he even wrote a script that had Patrick Bateman uh, dancing to uh, Barry Manilow at the top of the World Trade Center in one of the scripts. Like, hmm. just over it at that point. He was, he was just done with it. Uh, and he... Uh, excuse me, Norman Schneider and Rob Weiss. I'm kind of going through all these names here. They were uh, they were picked to do other drafts, but nothing stuck. Um, and this probably would have been like 94, 95, somewhere in there. Uh, and the guy that was hellbent on getting the movie made was like, he's over it now. It had been three or four years. So by this point, Brett Ellis was over it. He was the producer. Uh, uh, Ed Pressman was over it. It seemed like American Psycho was kind of dead in the water. Um, and they even tried to sell the rights uh, at the Cannes Film Festival in 1996, but nobody wanted it. So this is going on six years of nobody wanting this. They can't figure it out. It, it seemed like it was going to be an impossible story uh, to translate to the screen. And this is where we started to gain traction. The studio had seen Mary Heron uh, at the Cannes Film Festival in 96, the year they tried to sell the rights, when she did I Shot Andy Warhol. Uh and they liked her work. They offered it to her to direct. She wasn't a fan of the novel because of how graphic and violent it was. Mm-hmm. But here's kind of the interesting thing. And this is what I tried to explain to Julia. She saw an opportunity to make a very satirical period piece about the 1980s. And a very very much a social commentary laced film. And she liked how tricky the story was going to be to tell. She took him up on their offer. But she only agreed if she could write her own screenplay, which she did with Guinevere Turner. So the two of them ended up writing the screenplay that became American Psycho. Um, and it, it's interesting because to the best of my knowledge, neither, neither of them were horror fans. But they saw an opportunity to tell an extremist story laced mm-hmm. with social commentary, which it is. I mean, the story lends itself well to that. Um, and I, I think say, there, there really isn't many in, like you know, like in the horror novel. aspects or horror. There, there isn't many like horror aspects in this movie if you think about it. Yeah, I, yeah, I like so. the fact that she was like, I don't really want to do it, and they were like, it's going to be really hard to do, and she was like, I'll do it. <laughs> I like somebody who likes a challenge. Um, yeah, it's hard. Okay, bet. <laughs> uh, Jada says Johnny Depp would have probably played uh, probably probably I cannot blah, 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 blah. Johnny Depp would have probably played a lot like his character in Secret Window dude he does a very good job in Secret Window that's a good movie uh, Geeked Out Turtles Fan 42 what's going on Geeked Out hello, hello guys. Raphael 
<laughs> I like that picture, man. Uh, didn't like the sequel, but the first one was slick. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly have never seen American Psycho. The, the second one was uh, with Mila Kunis, and I think I saw the ending of it, and it was so fucking tacky. Well, but I don't think she even wanted to do it. I, I feel like, I, again, I've never seen it. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think she actually signed on to do something different. And they were like, by the way, this is going to be American Psycho 2. And it was like, what? Like, I, I don't even, I don't know. It, there was something weird that went on with that. Um, this brings us to Christian Bale. So the script and the story and the movie's finally gaining a little bit of traction. Bro, At William first, Shatner was in American Psycho 2. Can you believe that? Are you shitting me? No way. Yeah. William Who the Shatner hell did he play? Who did he play? A victim, most likely. (laughs) (laughs) uh, That's Spock, my guy. Is that Spock? That's Spock. Spock, He He did not play Spock. He played Kurt. All right, that one, I'll do it to myself. That guy's... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's Michael Myers, too. What the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) You can tell I'm not... What do you mean, what's Michael Myers? He, William Shatner's face was the first mask of Michael Myers, wasn't it? Yes. It yeah. Was so mask. yeah. Yeah. What so the I, hell does that have to do with anything? All I'm saying, you should have known. Like I'm just saying, William Shatner is such an iconic character. You mixed him up with fucking Spock. Uh, well, I did. I'm not a Star Trek guy. I, I've I've tried. Uh, but at first, Christian Bale didn't have any interest in it. He was like, uh, I've never read the book. Um, he he kind of wasn't about it, but. They sent him the script. He read the script. He thought it was funny. He liked it. And he auditioned in Mary Heron's living room in New York City. Uh, And then Willem Dafoe and Jared Leto signed on after that. Now, he was an excellent choice. Um, And in preparing for this, I was kind of looking into uh, a bit about his preparation for it, which, I mean, if you look at what Christian Bale does, Christian Bale is very much a, I think he's a character actor. Um, I, I think he dives in a hundred percent. If you look at what he did in vice, if you look at what he did in uh, Ford versus Ferrari, public enemies, the fighter, I mean, he's done a lot of really, really good hardcore roles. I mean, you know, I, I know everybody talks about Batman and I know he, I like him as Batman, but a lot of people don't, but I mean, he's gone, he's done body transformations. He's, he's done a lot of different things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know, Jaded. I know. He said Trekkies across the universe felt that one. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I I, I'll admit it. I'm. I'm telling you. I'll, I'll admit it. I know. I'm not a. I'm not a Star Trek guy. Um, you know, the guy's committed to his roles, and you know, he even like he had gotten warnings from colleagues because I think you have to remember at this point. I don't think Christian Bale was a super uh, known actor mm-hmm. in North America. I think he was mostly uh, a well-known actor in. Um, in, in you know in the uk and overseas but you know he had gotten warnings from colleagues that were like uh you know this is going to kill your career this is a bad career choice people are not this is already a, a sketchy story that's kind of it's on the banned book list people aren't about it but i think that made him wanted to do it more um which is why I, may, I he's committed which makes me excited to see what he brings to gore the god butcher and thor love and thunder you know mm-hmm, um yeah. You know, and he even went through a slight Americanized body transformation. He got his teeth fixed. He worked out a lot. He was getting tan. Uh, He stayed in character while they were shooting American Psycho, which kind of freaked everybody out. He would only speak with an American accent. He worked out all the time to maintain the physique and the build of Patrick Bateman. 
Uh, I, I even read that he figured out how to make himself sweat uh like during the like uh, the fucking like just all sweaty and shit whenever he's looking at the card oh yeah well you get like the zoom in on his face and he he's just like it's like oh my god the fucking watermarks it's even watermarked (laughs) (laughs) he's like fucking salivating out of his pores i was like where are we going well, and if you notice it, they all look freaking the same. It's not, it's like there's like one minor no. difference. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, there's there's a couple minor differences, but they're all different in some aspect. I was just looking up yeah, uh, Christian Bell's filmography. Honestly, man, I don't recognize any of these except for American Psycho, like in his earlier ones. Like the only one I probably would know is like Little Woman, and that's it. Everything yeah. else, the Newsies. Oh, wait, never mind. He was in Newsies. Yeah, oh, yeah, he did Newsies. He did. Okay, uh, so yeah, he was Newsies, but that was like, you know, when 1992, so he was like fairly young still. Yeah, but did. like, golly. Yeah. He did his uh, engaged sweat pores. What the fuck? <laughs> That's funny, man. I, I picture him like in the room, like before, he's just like, <laughs> like, like trying to like really tense up to try to get him, get him to get himself to sweat. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> get it, can get himself to sweat. It's called cocaine. <laughs> they were actually doing blow on the no i'm kidding um you know but they were freaked out a lot of the people on the set of american psycho had said they had never seen an actor that was so committed to a role like he did um and as i kind of teased before lionsgate didn't want to cast him at all they wanted edward norton or leonardo dicaprio they were their two big that they wanted at first Leo had Edward Norton was already pretty big. Leo had just done Titanic in 1997, which had just blown the hell up. Uh, Titanic was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Leo was very close to playing him, but there were a lot of disagreements about the script, how he would play the character. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of stuff that kind of changed about Leo and there, it went on for some months. I think it was like, eight or nine months or something that Leo was set to play Patrick Bateman. And then Christian Bale was so confident that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to drop out of the movie that he kept working for like eight or nine months straight and prepping and reading the script and working out and going through this body transformation just to do it, which is pretty sick. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. Uh, like how like look at look at the fucking confidence in this man knowing like, i know oh, right yeah, I'm, I'm gonna seal this fucking deal <laughs> uh geeked out turtles fan says i'm not gonna lie i'm thrown off by miguel looking like magnum pi you do look like magnum thanks P. man i was just trying this out i'm getting ready for a jimmy buffett concert so i just got this shirt i want to see how good it looks on me and obviously oh, yeah we're going to I see look jimmy like buffett, magnum pi Huh? Yeah, we are. Yeah, Miguel and I are going to go see Jimmy Buffett in a few months. It's week. Uh, he says LMAO geeked. <laughs> uh, so, but that was interesting. And I mean, even here's the thing, though. Lionsgate was working so hard against Christian Bale. Even after, uh, even after Leo dropped, they still didn't want to offer it to Christian Bale. They were prepared to pay Leo 20. Listen to how screwed up this is. This is one of the ways Hollywood just sucks sometimes. <laughs> Leo... They were prepared to pay him twenty million dollars to play Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. You know how? Take a guess. How much? Everybody in the chat right now, take a guess at how much they paid Christian Bale. Leo DiCaprio was getting ready to make twenty mil to play him. Guess how much they paid Christian Bale? 
What's your guess, Miguel? Mine? Well, how much was it again? They were going to pay Leo DiCaprio 20 mil, $20 million, a small loan of $20 million to play Patrick Bateman. But they, uh, but guess how much they paid Christian Bale? I mean, I just looked it up and it was $1 million. I read he got 50 grand. Oh, in like at first, yeah, probably like at first, just 50 grand. But like yeah. over the course of like the gross income and how well the movie did, it made five times more than its production budget. So remember that. No, no, I know. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm talking about Christian Bale's pay. I'm not talking about the budget or the, or the, the, the grossing of the film. I'm talking about they were going to pay Leonardo DiCaprio $20 million just to Leo to play him. But they didn't like Christian Bale and they only paid him 50 grand. Bro, that's wild. Well, when you think about it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you he think about how much of a small two dollars and fifty. Uh, Jay did said four point eight million. Yeah, it. Way I was less gonna say, that. I was gonna say a cat in the ATM. Yeah, uh, had to be seriously over fifty grand. That, I, from what I understand, they paid him fifty grand for it. Uh, Jay. <laughs> Jay did says Miguel gonna try to uh, sell us reverse mortgages in a minute. <laughs> You're one of those spam accounts. That's what you are. Guys, um, it's not a pyramid scheme, okay? Just yeah, right. follow my lead. Just just tell your friends to join. At this channel, we talk movies. Yeah. If you'll yeah. click on this link and pay $9.99. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but even before they hired Christian Bale, they offered it, are you ready, to Ewan McGregor. They offered it to Ben Affleck. They offered it to to Matt Damon. They offered it to Edward Norton. They even offered it to Vince Vaughn. And they all turned it down. I don't know why on earth they were so against him. Okay, Um, one, I'm glad Vince Vaughn didn't do it. (laughs) Because that would have been really weird. If you remember, Vince Vaughn played... uh, Played... uh, um... Wow. play? Horror fans, spite me down. Psycho. What? Who? The son in Psycho, the killer. Oh, shit. He really did. Not bad. Holy crap. What's his name? In the movie Psycho? Norman Bates. Norman Bates. Good. Listen, horror fans, cancel me. Uh, he played Norman Bates, not in the OG Psycho, but in the uh, in the remake of Psycho, which is just terrible. Uh, he he did play Norman. Yeah, thank you, Jade. I I'm I'm losing. All I could think was Patrick Bateman. Uh, but yeah, so uh, geeked out turtle fan says Matt Damon would be too nice to play uh, psychotic. I don't. Yes, I don't know. What do you think about Matt Damon? Could you see Matt Damon being crazy? No, I'd always think it's Jason Bourne. Mm. Yeah. Matt Damon just says more badass than crazy. Yeah. That's Edward fair. Norton, I don't know. He's too much of like a, I don't know. When I think of Edward Norton, I think of like, you know, obviously, um, let me think. I would say he's too much like a gangster kind of-ish feel. And yeah, he played uh, he played Fight Club, but he played as a dimwit, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And he was also in American History. You guys don't remember that one. And We're talking about was, Damon, right? No, I'm talking about Edward Norton right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, Matt yeah. Damon's out of the question. Yeah, I couldn't see him. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't see him. Yeah. 
But Edward Norton, um, <laughs> maybe. Maybe Edward Norton. I could see Edward Norton, honestly, maybe no, more than this man, this I man like Edward played, Norton. This man played the most racist human being in existence in yep. cinema history. Yeah. We also can't forget Edward Norton played Bruce Banner. That's besides the point. But we're just talking we're just talking about movies that like that that like expresses his like the where he uh, would make a good Patrick Bateman, like a crazy self absorbed Yeah, like crazy kid. uh like megalomaniac. But that's what I mean. Like you like Edward Norton, like when he played like whatever whoever it was in American history, he would just he was openly like I hate you. I hate you and your kind. So like I've I haven't seen a movie where he like plays someone that's like battling in his mind. Um which is funny because if you think about it, the two people now that now I'm thinking out that could possibly do a good job as uh, Patrick Bateman is Leo DiCaprio and Vince Vaughn. I don't know, man. For some reason, like, I don't know why they were hooked on Leo so much. I can't see him. It's just he's so versatile at the time, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess, but there's something I don't I feel like for Bateman, you would need. I could see the 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 self-absorbed douchebag one percenter rich guy i could see that but i don't know if i could see the hey paul like i don't know if i could see like the running naked with a chainsaw down the hallway kind of like he's never like i don't know if i could see the craziness don't worry guys he's never seen the wolf of wall street okay just let him be i have seen the wolf but that's what i'm saying (laughs) i could see him i could see him like being the super rich self-absorbed dude but i don't know if i could see him doing the the wild and like when he does just let loose i don't know if i could see him doing that as much you know he what does I mean? pretty good in uh he did pretty good in uh the django he did he, he did, did pretty good in shutter that's, island too, when he was supposed to be like in shutter island he played as someone that was mentally yeah. insane so he yeah. did a pretty and that if you and if you think about it shutter island was definitely one of the movies where he almost played patrick bateman because remember, he was a detective trying to find out what happened to some murders, and he ended up. Never mind, spoiler alert. But you know what I'm talking about. Bro, the movie's been uh, out for like two decades. We well, okay. If you guys haven't seen it, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, so he ends up. He's a detective, <laughs> and he's trying to figure out these murders. And it turns out he's a fu- he's one of the fucking mental patients in Salem Asylum. And Mark Ruffalo's in it too, so it's pretty cool. The Hulk's, never, the Hulk's in that one too. I'll never forget. I remember my parents when Shutter Island came out. My parents went and saw it like on a date, and I, my, I, I had never. I mean, I've seen it since then, and it, it's all right. I mean, it's not like my favorite Leo movie, but I remember they came back. My first, uh, my first like reaction of hearing about Shutter Island, I was like, "Hey, how was the movie?" They were like, "That was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "It was really, it was bad." They were like, "Yeah, it was awful." Um, but yeah, uh, Day Dead says Neil Patrick. Ha- Neil Patrick Harris? He could do it. Yeah, I think he could do it. Probably. It wouldn't Maybe. be like a cult classic as it as Maybe. as a Christian Bale, but he could do it. Maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. Geeked Out Turtle fan says, I erased that horrible... Re- oh, Psycho. Uh, he said, I erased that horrible remake from my brain and now it's back. Thank you. Yeah, that Psycho remake is awful. Anytime. I Happy actually... To I told... <laughs> I told... Because Psycho is... Julia actually loves like two of her favorite movies ever are Psycho, the original Psycho, and The Shining. She loves both of those. 
Um, and she, I said, do you want to try and watch the remake of Psycho? We were clicking through movies to watch last Halloween, and she was like, nope. I said, really? I said, you don't even want to give it a shot? She was like, nope, it'll taint the original. I don't want to watch it. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, all right. Um, I've only ever seen the remake once, but from what I remember, I, I was not a fan. Uh, Geeked Out Turtle Fan also says, American History X, Norman played a racist. I've See, I didn't want to say it, but I've never seen American it. History. But yeah, he was nah, dog. Edward Norton played a fucking neo-Nazi. He was a neo-Nazi in fucking L.A. Yes, and the things sure. he did in that movie was pretty fucked. So. Uh, he also says, "You know who plays good crazy? Steve Buscemi, who is in Con Air. He does play good crazy." <laughs> I couldn't picture Steve Buscemi so, as Patrick Bateman. Oh though. my god, that would be weird. That'd Bro, be kind of funny. Geek out, turtle fan. I love you so much. The fact that you reference <laughs> Con Air. Oh my god, that just reminds me. Fuck, Nick Cage hey, could have done it. Don't knock Con Air. Con. Oh god. No, Con, Con Air, Air is was, a pretty decent movie. Con I'm not going to lie. I like such, Con Air. It was such like a 90s hero movie. It was so fucking cheesy. And when Sp Steve Buscemi came out, I did not know who he was at the time. So I just thought, I was like, golly, this guy's pretty good. And then I saw him on all of the Happy Madison productions with like Adam Sandler and seeing how funny he is. And then I'd watch Con Air again. And I'd be like, bro, this guy, a fucking comedic <laughs> actor, is playing a fucking serial killer. He was like, he was like, one time I crossed like three state lines wearing her uh, face as a hat. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, and then Steve Buscemi gets, he breaks out and he like ends up playing at a casino. He's like, give me, give me 12 on, uh, on uh, roll dice 17 or I something need, bullshit I like that. Stop, I need you to stop doing this behind your mic. I'm going to really keep bad. doing it now that you want to, now that you hate it. But now that I want yeah. to? Yeah, Steve Buscemi and Con Air was pretty good. He like I gotta say, in Con Air, they really made Steve Buscemi like so frightening because they set him up so well. Like, yeah, Cyrus the Virus. I forgot who plays Cyrus the Virus in that movie, but when they introduced like uh, Steve Buscemi, Carson Green is the guy that they that that he played as as like yeah. this giant like serial killer with like over like thirty kills. He said. One of the guys said that he made the Manson Manson family look like the Partridge family, and I was like, "Fuck, dude, it's got some big deal." <laughs> wow. So uh, Jay did also says Edward Norton in Primal Fear. He played a sociopath. Yeah, that that's a good one too. Although mm -hmm. I don't, I haven't seen Primal Fear in a long time. I have, there's so I don't, many. I don't think I've ever listen, heard of Primal Fear. I'm glad we have this show because there are so many movies that like <laughs> I, I I even lately like that I've been talking to you and Julia about. And I'm like, man, I want to go back. And we actually have, um, I, I, I guess it's not really, I mean, it's not a huge announcement, but we, uh, something we want to do on the other show on Let's Talk Movies on the main show is to, I think we figured out a way to go back and like revisit some of those older movies. Like I know we, we've talked about doing uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong and Godzilla from 98. Like we've talked about doing those and maybe doing like a watch along of those or so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, figure that out and uh that, that's something we want to do maybe starting next month uh but we'll we'll have an announcement about that later on the main show uh real quick jaded says nick cage's southern accent was the only scary thing in con air uh or uh what's that what's that movie uh let's see nick cage uh what is that movie i'm not a bad man yeah, his, but it was his fucking hair, dude. That was such like a 90s saying. Just like when he got out of the fucking prison, his hair was just like flowing through his fucking head. 
Bro, I gotta say, Con Air was a movie where Nick Cage literally like showed his fucking guns. That man was fucking yeah. yo. Oh, Raising Arizona, dude. Have you seen Raising Arizona? No, dude. It is awesome. Uh, it, it's funny because Raising Arizona, he plays this country redneck dude, um, and he so him and his wife are they they can't conceive a child. And they're going like to extreme lakes to try to have one. And there's this family that has like, it, they have like quintuplets or something like that. And he, Nick Cage actually goes and steals one of their kids from them. And he's like outrunning the, the cops. And it's a funny, it's a funny movie, man. I, I, I love Raising Arizona, but that's another, uh, that's another good one. That's yeah, so Jaden says love raising Arizona. That's a that's a funny Nick Cage one too. Uh, real quick, let's talk about the plot a little bit. Let's kind of dive into some of you know we talked about this earlier, uh, but some of the things that happen, um, the investigation with Donald Kimball and the the private investigating and kind of the 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 beats of the movie a little bit. Um, you know, we open we kind of get a glimpse of the lifestyle like when we open up from when they're in the the restaurant. They you can. You can tell they eat together at popular restaurants every night. Um, there's even something to be said about the fact that they they only it, it, you kind of get the vibe that they only spend time with their coworkers who they're already with at work all the time and they're trying to compete with. It's like they you want it, it's kind of sad in a way because it's like you they're only trying to compete with them. It's like they wake up. They do their whole routine to try to make themselves look as good as they can. Then mm -hmm. they go to work and they're trying to be the best and they're trying to compete. And then they go to dinner and they're trying to be the best and they're trying to compete. Even they keep talking about who can get a reservation at Dorsey. That's like a thing. Uh, even when yeah, he Dorsey was the, the, was the thing. <laughs> Dorsey is the thing that made Patrick Bateman crazy. No, but you know, even in, in the scene with the the business cards and. Um, when they're talking about like at the beginning, like Dorsey and nobody can ever get a reservation at Dorsey and stuff like that, you know, like they're competing with each other all the time and we get a sense of their lifestyle They're They do blow everywhere they go in the bathroom, every club, you know what I mean? Their, mm -hmm. their, their day is basically, yeah, do you up. mind? I'm doing drugs over here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, I was like, Jesus Christ. Well, and then his buddy was like, he was like, I, what did, I forgot what he even says to him when he leans over the stall and he's like, he's like bitching around or whatever. And Christian Bale is just like, he just like drags him back down. And he's, he's like, like <laughs> dragging him down. He's like, you're ruining my fucking high right now. Yeah. And something like that. I was like, what? Hey, man, we're trying to do drugs over here. It's, it's like funny. both of them are rooming yeah, each other's high, but they're I trying know. to get high together and like it's a fucking like, terrible breath. And there's like 15 people in line to do the exact same thing. So also, it's like, bro, how normal it is at, over there at like Wall Street or just like the one percent in general, how like how important like drugs were to them, like well, just let's low just, in general. Let, let's just ask this question too. And I never really, I guess, thought about it until right now. Because what do you think he so did well. some wrong drug no, and then he but, went to hallucination? What, no, but what the hell club? I, it's the '80s, so I guess anything goes. But anything. Or, I guess set and set in the '80s. But the dude, what club? The club has like fifteen stalls, but they're all. It's like drug stalls. Like nobody's actually like going to the bathroom. Everybody's just in the bathroom doing blow. <laughs> 
It's it was just, it's literally just a row of stalls and people are doing lines of coke off the bro. Off it the was toilet. literally something. It was something that uh I remember it was a podcast with like Joe Rogan and Joey Diaz. And Joe Rogan was asking Joey Diaz about like Studio sixty six or something that was going on in L A. And and Joe Rogan was like, so what was the big deal about Studio sixty six? And Joey Diaz was so quick to the dot. He was like, you could you could uh you could snort coke, do blow, get head, and be, then be home by six o'clock. It was fucking great. So I was like. <laughs> and that was like back then so yeah like these clubs that's what they're all about you do drugs you get you have you have sexual affairs and you do all the other sorts of dirty grimy shit and then you're just home by six o'clock and you can kiss your wife and kids goodbye good night and just do it all over again yeah it was well, like, oh, we oh shit j dead's dropping legit stuff here he says they're all trapped in a constant cycle of competing to the point that they have to go to the same places and do the same things uh that's very true even mm -hmm. if you look at like like it's weird because even when we see them in the nightclub and stuff it's like they're they almost look like they're too good to be there you know what i mean like he's so they're so comfortable with the fact that they're just mm -hmm. openly doing they're just openly doing blow and that they're openly just treating women like they're objects and it, it's very it's it's interesting like it, it's it's kind of strange you know even if you look at keep even looking at his relationships with other people at uh evelyn reese witherspoon's character um you know like reese witherspoon is trying to have a life with him like she's talking about their marriage or whatever and he you know they're talking about their wedding and she wants to marry him and she you know i mean she's whatever but you know, she's trying to be real with him and she's trying to have a relationship with him. And mm -hmm. like at the beginning when they're in the car and he's like, he's like, I'm trying to listen to my video or my, 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 my tape. What? And he like, he just acts irritated with her. You know what I mean? At all, mm -hmm. like at all times, he, he seems like he's irritated with the fact that he even, that she's even talking to him, even the chick that he's having the affair with. Uh, it just seems like, like I, one of the saddest points in the movie for me is when, uh, you know, he like at one point he he goes and he sleeps with the chick he's having the affair with, but she's trying to talk to him and he's just like, what? Like, he seems so irritated and so annoyed and she's trying to be real with him. And she you it kind of implies that she's going to commit going to commit suicide because she's so unhappy you know she doesn't want to marry the guy she's with but she patrick oh, doesn't really, patrick like doesn't really want her either mm -hmm. you know and that's where i think that's where i think yes it's and very you also know and you also know like the guy that the guy that uh she's uh married to at the at that moment uh has like has like pretty dark moments as, as well like he like when patrick bay was about to like choke him out and in the restroom you turn around he was like patrick I've waited for this for so long. He was like, bro, this nigga this got gay. Dude, I was like, I was like, whoa. I said, that's like a 180 right there. And Patrick didn't know what to say. He was like, he was like, I think the, he, he I even, think he even the, washed his hands with his with gloves on. And I was like, what the I fuck? Think the, it, it's his reaction. Like he, he well, it's goes, which, again, everyone, it's a period piece in the eighties. That would have been very, you know, taboo, I mean, nowadays, yeah. not at all that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. But it's his response to it is funny. Like when he he washes his hands, he's like, <sighs> you know, he he looks very like taken back by the fact that he just did that. Yeah, um, and that just I think happened, you know, in that moment as well, just perpetuates the. Uh, I wonder if that happens the same way in the book. I don't know, but the fact that that happened 
kind of sh- tells me that uh, what was his name? That I even uh, I forget. I'm trying to look it up right now. Uh, Harold. Harold is his name. The guy that's okay. married to uh, I think Christy is what? No, it's not Christy. But nevertheless, Harold when he when he like was like like oh thank God, thank God Patrick like I've been waiting for this. He was also putting on a mask too by marrying that girl. Right. Because he didn't want to, he didn't want to like you know be his true self. I guess he was again like like what Jay did said. You know, everyone puts a mask, give someone a mask, and they will tell you the truth. It's like yeah, everyone yeah. was putting on a mask or a face or something like that. Yeah. And it was just it just befuddled me how like he was also one of them because he seemed so like he seemed like the only person that was kind of sane in there. Like he was just there <laughs> to just to be there. I guess. Yeah. That that's a honestly that's a good scene too. That's one of mm-hmm. the. That's one of the more comedic scenes in the movie too. Yeah, that was um, yeah, that was probably one of them. Yeah, it's just like seeing seeing the drawn out look on his face of like he, <laughs> he's getting ready to murder to choke this dude out, and you know he's standing there peeing, he's got himself out or whatever, and and he goes to like he goes to, he's he's in the mindset of I'm gonna kill the, like I'm gonna literally strangle him to death, and then when the guy's like <sighs> or whatever, and he just he he just like. You know, it, it's a. I think, it's a cool I think it was. I think it was that moment where Patrick Bateman realized he was like, he was like, oh shit, I'm not the one in control right now. I need to get yeah. the fuck out of here. So that that was that was a moment where like he did not have control over the situation, so he didn't want to be a part of it because you know Patrick yeah. Bateman throughout this movie was like, I need to be in control of everything, which plays into like his OCD nature and everything else, and and all of his victims and all of the things he said and how he the controls himself, how he speaks and all the whole group settings like. He wants to be in control of damn near everything. And the mm-hmm. second that he doesn't feel like he has that, 100%. he automatically snaps or goes into his different world. So, yeah, yeah dude, that was fucking hilarious. Well, it's after, you know, he says every single character in the movie had a mask. And that's that's 100%, man. But, mm-hmm. like, we even see, you know, it, honestly, you're right. It's like after something bad happens, it's when he, like, the homeless guy, when he kills him, the business card thing just triggered him off and he had to go. Mm-hmm kill somebody um mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's interesting like even let's talk about the paul allen thing because he we there's obviously you know through the dialogue through the the business card thing there there's a lot of tension between him and paul allen and you almost get a sense that he, he he's not obsessed with him but he definitely compares himself to him a lot and you know the whole he take like even when he he pops the or he he drugs Paul, uh, Jared Leto's character, and you know he's drunk or whatever, and he's like order another Paul or whatever, and he's like this is Dorcia, <laughs> and he's like this is Dorcia or whatever, and he's like yes or whatever, and he you know he's trying to trick him and thinking it's Dorcia, and when he gets back to his apartment and I. <laughs> I listen. I have talked about this scene, and Julia is really sick of me. She she's like, I can't wait for you to do this episode because all the time I'm like, but I don't even care, and I, I keep singing, but I don't know what's going on. It's hip to be square. I keep singing it. Um, but you, you need like, to put that on the ox. You know, know right? you know when you guys are driving, just to piss I her did, off. I did, I did the other day, and she was like, oh, she was <laughs> um. But the whole thing with Paul is interesting because that's the first real – I mean, we see the homeless guy. That's, the what, the second murder? Um, 
I think <coughs> honestly, that's a good point too, Jada. He says Paul Allen was one person that he saw himself in the most. That's why his hatred for him was on another level. It, it's interesting because it's like you don't. There's that perspective, but there's also the idea that he envied him so much that he had to eliminate. It's like eliminate the threat. It's like a primal thing. Eliminate Paul. Uh, but that whole scene is just one of the. It it's like. I don't know, because he's even talking about social norms when he's talking about, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? And he's like, you know, he's like, I thought their older stuff was a little whatever. But, you know, Mm -hmm. but then when sports came out in 83 and he's talking about, you know, I'm spitting all over my mic, um, you know, and he's being like whatever. And he's being all very animated, very, very whatever. It's like that's a little bit of social commentary, too, because he's talking about social norms and he's talking about conformity and things like that. Um, well, that's the thing. When Patrick Bateman is talking as a normal person, you notice what he talks about. He talks about a uh, commentary of like social uh, norms and how things should be like how we should treat women and how women are right. just as equal as one of us. And then like, yeah, he talks so much about this like commentary on like social norms. But yeah, he then shoves like an axe in Paul Allen's fucking face. It's like, well, what? But that's where, and that's what I try to explain to Julia is, and I think you really have to, with this one, you really have to read between the lines a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, it's very brutal. Yes, he is awful. And the things that he does and the things he says are complete. I mean, they're they're atrocious. But you have to read between the lines because it's when you see the way he's talking to women, it's like, oh, this is awful, and you sympathize with the woman. That's the social commentary. It you're supposed to sympathize with her, when, um, you know, when you when you see the way he talks to the chick he's having the affair with, and she's trying to have a meaningful conversation with him, Man, and he doped up. Well, after after they just got laid, and then he's trying to have a conversation with her. Mm, she's trying to have a conversation with him. And she's like, you know, if I don't talk to you, take care. And I, for me, I mean, I, I think it implies she's going to commit suicide. Um, so that was the first time, you know, that was her final plea of, I'm going to try to get this guy to identify with me and care about me. And he doesn't. He's just another guy that's just going to write her off. He just wants her to get laid, and that's it. That's the mm-hmm. only reason he wants her. And that's sad. Uh, even when he's talking about, you know, politics i don't remember the whole diatribe that he says when they're sitting in the restaurant eating but he's like you know i think we treat women terribly and i think we need to you know do better for the middle and lower classes and blah 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 blah. and he he's saying all this stuff that sounds really great but again like you said under the surface of all of that is the way he treats women and he straight up kills people and he acts like they're and and you notice that this doesn't and you notice that whenever he talks like that all of his all of his uh friends or peers just write them off like oh yeah you're talking crazy nonsense here like why why bother so it's like it's like you can't really put a picture on like where his like actual mental like who is the real like patrick bateman or who is the real marcus or who's the real davis like which one of them is actually real yeah because as far as i'm concerned patrick bateman isn't real whenever i think about it so it's like who who is who and who is uh and who has who is the actual host of the body yeah. And you have, it's like Moon Knight, give me the body, give me the body. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you, you also have take to the think body. about take the, the body. Take the body. Even, even when we're thinking about Paul Allen, Paul didn't realize he was Patrick Bateman. He thought he was somebody else. Patrick was pretending to be someone else when he killed him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he was, when, he was Marcus. 
Yeah, he was. So if you think about it, guy. how many personalities was did he play as? Exactly, and even in the scene when he kills Paul, when you know he takes the two pills and he puts on the raincoat or whatever. Which, by the way, when he goes in the bathroom and he takes the pills, he looks at himself in the mirror and he's still talking about Huey Lewis and the music and whatever. And he he sets the he grabs the axe is sitting next to the bathtub. He puts the coat on. He pops his pills. He looks in the mirror and he grabs the axe. When he moonwalks out of the bathroom, that was actually improvised by him. <laughs> and it's funny because they didn't include uh they didn't include jared leto uh in the rehearsals of that scene so when when he says you know like you know people didn't listen to him but they should and he's holding the axe or whatever uh after after <laughs> i always think it's funny when when jared leto goes was that like an was that a genuine like concern was, was that a genuine like fear for jared leto whenever he turned around and he saw uh Christian Bale yeah. just like swinging the axe. When he goes, "Hey, Paul!" and he turns around and he goes, he goes, and he like goes, <laughs> oh, "That was legit," because he had never seen him running at him with the axe before. So that was really Jared Leto's like reaction to it. But it's funny because and that I, was I always probably like, him, like that was probably Jared Leto thinking like I should stick to singing. Oh shit, <laughs> Maroon Five. Uh, well, who does he see? Is it is it Maroon Five? No, I think it's the Killers. If I'm not mistaken, right? No, it's not the Killers. Uh, let me see. It was thirty seconds of Mars. I'm stupid. Yeah, we suck. Wow, damn, we're yeah, dropping the ball here, guys. Suck. Uh, no, but um, I like it when he when he's sitting there, he's drunk or whatever, and he's kind of like slumped over, and he's he's just kind of he's wasted. He's just saying whatever crap, and he goes, "Why are there copies of the style section all over the floor? You do you have a little dog?" little chow or something that's pretty good <laughs> yeah he says you got a little chow or something and that's when he says like hey paul and he goes to swing it now when he swung the axe no alan there were actually so he swung the axe i think it like plexiglass mm -hmm. and when he swings the ass there the ass when he swings the ass when he swings the axe there were crew members that were like just spritzing blood up at him to mm -hmm. get it covered and of course we have it's hip to be square like going around in the background um but i they try they getting off reservation forces a... now you <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> no i think what does he call him i think he calls him a stupid fucking bastard yeah, probably. Try yeah. getting a reservation at Dorsey and now, you know, which of course Dorsey is like their big, you know, it's like a big point of contention. Um, but he he the plexi he swung at the plexiglass and they were it was funny. I think it was only an act they wanted the blood to cover like all of him, mm -hmm. but I think it only it's like a it's one of those weird um just kind of meant to be things. The blood only covers half of his face, which again, it's like well, that's kind of a metaphor for <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it only covers half his face that director, he's, pristine, that director was like, he's pristine on one side and then he's all bloody and gross on the other side you that know? director is probably like that works let's keep it in there <laughs> write that down write that down write that down <laughs> uh jay did says y'all done gone off your star trek and now the killers i'm about to <laughs> No, I didn't fuck up with the Star Trek. He did. I just I did. to fuck up with the with the thirty seconds. Of I always forget. To be fair, though, I always I I always forget who. And then as soon as I hear thirty seconds to Mars, I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of forget yeah. thirty seconds to Mars exists. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but even then, we get into the stuff with Willem Dafoe and the the Donald Kimball, the private investigator. Um, you know, it 
it's when because we even see him like when he goes to uh when he gets to <laughs> Jada says coming out of my cage and I was doing just, doing just fine. fine. <laughs> uh, but uh you know like we get the whole scene when he goes to Paul Allen's apartment and he's like Paul's going to take a trip and he he's putting his clothes in he's trying to make it he's trying to make it look like he's going to be gone. But the the private investigator thing like I said at the beginning of the show they they purposely did uh multiple takes with Willem Dafoe um, with the interview scenes when they're in his office, when they're uh, uh, at the, when he says, let's go get lunch and they're eating lunch. Like they purposely made Will, you know, in one take, they would tell Willem Dafoe, Hey, you know, make it look like, you know, you know, like, you know, a hundred percent for damn sure it's him. And then another shot, they'd be like, make it like he, he, he's not a suspect at all. You're just talking to him, trying to get information. And then another one kind of act like you're, you know, like Green Goblin sitting at the table at, at Thanksgiving in Spider-Man. Like, like kind of like uh, is like suspicious, you know what I mean? And they mm. cut that together. So when you see Willem Dafoe talking to him even as an audience member it's it almost kind of puts you on edge that's another layer of suspense that they do really well where it's like is he does he know what's going on does he not know what's you know what i mean it's like uh what's what's the deal here um so that's done really well let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the the whole uh the the prostitute threesome thing when he's still pretending to be paul allen even in the not. even in the threesome uh, well, it's it's interesting because that's the hardest part to watch. It is the hardest part to watch um, because it's again, it's kind of like it's a you could look at it in a few different ways. You could look at it as he's trying to cover up. He's trying to make it look like Paul Allen is still just kind of not off the grid, but you know what I mean? Just kind of doing his thing he, he's trying to make it look like he's still there but there's also the side like we talked about at the beginning of the show where is that just is that just his other personality coming out you know what i mean because he's abusing i think it is people. he's you think it's his other personality coming out yeah i think it is that's fair um because it's not like it's not like he used like the stuff that he did to try to cover up his tracks you know what i mean yeah. So, like, whenever yeah. Willem Dafoe would ask him about these things, about Paul and Allen's disappearance, he was always like, well, I mean, I'm sure Paul Allen was home at one point and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, who knows? So, I think that was just him, like, you know, embodying um, embodying uh, the fucking Paul Allen, pretty much. Yeah. And that's what made it so, like, fucking odd and scary at the same time. And if I'm being yeah. honest, man, like, the, the whole, the, like, it was two, two times where it happened. Two mm -hmm. times. And you almost feel so bad for Christy. It's like, doll, you chose like yeah. You do. Well, well what that's road what I was saying about the where like you, you, ended you feel up like terrible this. for him. Mm -hmm. You feel awful for him the entire time. And that's another way that they they kind of put the whole violence against women, uh, you know that whole that whole thing as well. Um, but even the scene, you know, when he's in Paul Allen's apartment and he's <laughs> when he he leaves the. You know, um, when he says about he's going to London or whatever, and he's trying to make it look like whatever, and he says, you know, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah. Um, 
Janet says the hooker scene was done perfect. You didn't hardly see anything in your mind. Imagine the worst. Yeah. Well, you had met Miguel. You had mentioned Christy. Uh, she in a in a way, Christy and the uh, what's his what's his secretary's name? Um, Christy and is it Courtney? Is that the secretary? I'm I'm on IMDb. I'm trying to. Um, I think it's Courtney. Yeah, Christy is the prostitute. Um, Christy's the prostitute, but who is the, uh, Gene, Gene, that's the, that's his secretary. So honestly, I, let's, I, I, oh, it I, is. Holy shit. She does not look the same. I kind of asked you about this in our, in our commentary too. uh, brain fart on who the, the actors were. Um, but when he asked, when he asked the secretary to dinner, um, and, you know, first of all, even the thing with her, he treats her like garbage anyways, like seeing when he, uh, you know, when he's, when he says about, you know, like wear a dress next time or whatever, and he's trying to get her to change clothes. And, um, we get the whole scene where she's in the apartment. What was your take on gene being in the apartment with him when he looks like he's gonna kill her and he actually takes the nail gun and puts it up to her head and then he says you better leave or something really bad is gonna happen do you think he was trying to do the right thing in that moment because he didn't want to kill her or uh, what's your take on that whole scene and that whole sequence i'm not entirely sure if i'm being honest because usually it was like at first, I thought it was like just she was just too innocent or something like that. But at the same time, it was like, well, why didn't she kill uh, Sabrina, honestly? And I don't know. I think at that moment in that uh, in that in, in that movie, what I think possibly what could have happened was that Patrick Bateman, I think, was still like going through something else i guess yeah and he was way too uh it wasn't he couldn't find the right way to do it it was it wasn't the fact that he that he didn't want to kill her he wanted to kill her it's just he couldn't find the perfect way to do it and i think that's why he did i think that's why and i think the reason why uh he also didn't was the fact that there was a it's here guys here it is Patrick Bateman was trying to play some sort of character in front of Sabrina so that so that she can so she can think of some of some other different type so she can have some different like uh, idea of Patrick Bateman. But whenever what's her name, I guess, like called him out of the blue and was like Evelyn. Like, yeah, when Evelyn called and Patrick Bateman it was basically saying Patrick Bateman's uh, character at that very moment was torn to shreds. It like, was interrupted. It was interrupted. So yeah. therefore Patrick Bateman didn't have the perfect, uh, the perfect uh, way to to like offer, so he he had a he had a, he had to dump it. So I think that's right. why he was yeah. no longer he was no longer in control of that situation. Sabrina probably thought because he he was he was he loved the fact that Sabrina was like into him, and he was like like uh, getting off on that notion. But the second Evelyn called and Sabrina was like, well, he's obviously with someone, so I don't want to be with him. Right. At that point, 
Patrick Bateman lost control of that situation. He was like, well, I can't, I, I, I don't want to do anything now because I'm not in control. I agree with you. And I think it's, uh, you know, Jada says it was his one brief moment of humanity. And I, I kind of agree with that. I, I think, well, to an extent, I, I think it's a combination of things. I think in that moment he was having a fantasy. He, he clearly, he opened his cabinet and saw all the torture tools and the weapons and whatever else in there. And he, I think he had all intentions of killing her because he literally puts the nail gun right up against her head. But I think it's a combination of the phone call ruined that the phone call completely broke whatever character he was at that moment uh even if the character was patrick bateman because he wasn't necessarily trying to be anybody else because she knew who he was um because she was his secretary but i think it was it's interesting that a he it broke his concentration when evelyn called and I do think it was a combination. He did have a little moan of humanity because he recognizes how innocent Gene is. And I think he recognizes that if you stay here, something really bad is going to happen. And that's when she leaves. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, kind of the antithesis of what happens with the other two hookers. Um, you know, when he takes Christy there and unfortunately Christy, you know, when she gets away, um, you know, she runs, she sees all the corpses and he's naked with the chainsaw when he drops it down the staircase. Like, you know, it, it's kind of the antithesis of that, you know, I mean, you could almost it's I think the spiral in the rest of the movie when he's running with the chainsaw, um, you know, the spot. It's a combination of he's starting to realize what's going on in his head, how crazy he is. Plus, it's the investigation is starting to you know, take a turn because he, you kind of get the sense that Willem Dafoe is starting to put things together a little bit more. I think it's a combination of a lot of things on why he didn't kill Gene on why he went off with the hookers um, in the room with the chainsaw and popping the pills. I, I think there, mm -hmm. there's a lot kind of that goes on uh, at the beginning of that, um, you know, or at, at, in that part of the film. I think well now now that I'm like now that you explained much of much of it I think it's probably to the fact that like Patrick Bateman didn't have any way of justifying killing uh Jean at that moment there is literally no other reason of killing her because like you said you notice how like everyone else in the movie all of her all of the victims are uh you know, are like self-centered and like literally have just not their kind of mentality. Like they're all like disassociated, but still in it. And like, they don't care about anything else other than themselves. They're so self-centered and everything. So yeah. Patrick Bateman just like, well, these people can just go off. They can just die for all I care. Right. Cause they, they they're have, expendable. They have, yeah, they're expendable. But when it came to Gene and seeing how, uh, more, how much moral Gene had for not really wanting to quote unquote, having a, an affair or, yeah. Or cheating with Patrick Bateman, I think uh, Patrick realizes that, uh, wow, she she's actually she actually has some morals. Like she's act there's actually people out here that actually have some good intentions in this world. So he right. was like, why why would I want to remove that from this earth when there's so many other self centered people that could just be expendable? So yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, one of the most interesting, really, the last like third of the film. Um, or the, you know, from the part where he starts to spiral, 
uh, I think is very interesting. Like, you know, because of course we get the, the feed me the stray cat thing when he's at the ATM and he goes to shoot the cat and shove it into the ATM. Uh, and then he shoots the old lady. That whole sequence is kind of wild. When I think that one was full on dream. It was, I agree. But yeah. You, that's where it's almost like, what the hell is going on? You know, the police car, the police car is blowing up and he runs through the World Trade Center and he shoots the, he, you know, he shoots the the person in the, at the, 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 the front desk. Um, when he calls and he tells the lawyer, you know, that he's killed 40 people and um, whatever. I, uh, I, I ate the brains. I was like, <laughs> no, what? Yeah. Uh, you know, he, like he, he really starts to spiral when he goes to the payphone, um, and he he takes he throw he pops back like the entire bottle of pills. Um, his spiral and kind of seeing him spiral is really interesting. The whole phone call to the lawyer about you know he like I just said he's killed the forty people and he his confession, which I guess it turns out wasn't really a confession. Um, you know, it's interesting that he goes to confess because that's another thing again, where it's like, okay, is there a little, is there a little shimmer of humanity in there that he doesn't want to keep doing it? He recognizes this is really bad. You know what I mean? Um, but then again, a lot of it was in his head. I mean, that whole, I agree with you that that whole sequence is in his head. It's very fantastical compared mm -hmm. to the rest of the, the movie, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I really, even the end of the film it, again is up for interpretation. And if, by the way, if you're still watching with us, leave this video a like, um, this episode, and let us know what is your take on the ending. Do you think all of this was been his head? Because when we get to the final scene where he's with the dudes, um, you know, when he's in, uh, he goes and he, you know, he gets himself cleaned up or whatever. He slicks his hair back. And he goes to uh, he he's he's meeting with the guys and they're trying to figure out where they're going to go for dinner and again their material or material bullcrap like they're trying to figure out where they're going to get a reservation and he sees Carnes who is his lawyer and he's like did you see my message and he's going crazy or whatever and the guy laughs it off and he's like what like he's he's kind of in shock he's like I I killed people like what do you like what are you talking about and that's when we start to get. It's like you step back. For Why is it not possible, you stupid bastard? It's not <laughs> like that. It's like, it's we, not possible. As an audience member, you step back and you're like, uh, what? Like, was all of that? Was any of that real? Was some of that real? Was all of that fake? Like, is this all in his brain? It's it, it's very interesting. Like, the his whole spiral is interesting because he's so confident and he's so whatever. But that moment with Gene in the apartment is kind of it's kind of the point where he starts to spiral a little bit and you start to see little glimpses of maybe there's a little bit of humanity in there um mm -hmm. but you also gotta understand that patrick bateman that he is a narrator and i guess you could label him as like the unreliable narrator he is an unreliable yes. narrator yeah like he he only speaks from his point of view and his objective reality whether Absolutely. it's split or into like 12 different places like so it's kind of hard to like like you need to take it you need to take that into fact when you watch this movie like he could narrate everything to you but yeah. it's all still be a lie yep 100 mm -hmm. and that's 
it's part of what makes this thing so interesting. My take, it's interesting that you see on the door, I, again, I'm not sure exactly how the novel plays it out, but on the door, it says something like, this is not an exit. And I believe the final line of the, the novel mm, of American Psycho yeah. is, this is not an exit. And my take on that is it's almost like, you know, if he's going to, you know, he, because these people can just run away from any problem. He, you know, he's been running away from, like you taught, this is kind of coming full circle. Uh, like you said at the beginning of the show where he he's trying to fill that void and he fills it with killing all these people and these like murderous psychopathic tendencies that he has. Um, and he can run from all of that, but he's to a point where he's realized that it's wrong. He He's realized that he can't even trust his own head anymore. Mm -hmm. So even if he was to go out that door, it says this is not an exit. It's like, there's no way to exit this anymore. This is running away is not an exit anymore. You almost have to face this and face the fact that is this real? Is this made up? Yeah, um, it's very it's very poetic. Um, it, it's a very interesting way to end the film. Just the, the close up on his face and kind of this mental battle of did any of this happen? Did some of this happen? Which is originally what Brett Ellis was so worried about. He felt like this is not going to make a good film because it's not going to make any sense, you know? But, contrary to his belief, it's a decent film. It, it is. It's a very good film. Data says, I think it was all his thoughts during a mental break he had. He's probably a similar break, uh, probably had a similar break many times in the past with each one being more fantastical than the last. That's an interesting thought, too. Um, mm -hmm. The idea that the whole entire thing was just all in his head. You know, that it's it's very interesting. Uh Got a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, 85% uh, audience store. The New York Times called it a mean and lean horror classic. The LA Times said the difficult truth is that the more viewers can model themselves after protagonist Bateman, the more they can distance themselves from the, hum uh, the human reality of the slick violence that fills the screen and takes it all as some kind of a cool joke, the more they are likely to enjoy this stillborn, pointless piece of work. I wouldn't say that at all. <laughs> Like, um, Newsweek says, but after an hour of dissecting the 80s culture of materialism, narcissism, and greed, the movie begins to repeat itself. It becomes more grisly and surreal, but not more interesting. I don't agree with that. I think it, I, I think you really have to kind this of. This was, you also got to realize this, those articles were probably made like a month or so after, or like even a week or even right. a day after the movie was released. So like yes. no one has really like done case studies or like really delved into the movie out of itself. So like, yeah, you almost can't read those, those, um, those articles because they don't really uh, have like the full picture. Again, those articles are from a unreliable narrator because they're coming from their own perspective. There's absolutely zero, a sense of like non-bias um a, like a statement that's going to be in that article paul allen wrote those articles <laughs> yeah right or marcus <laughs> or davis i know right yeah so so it, it's it's interesting again i think with this one you you almost have to kind of take it all with a grain of salt i think to find the social commentary to find what it's trying to say um you you really have to take it with a grain of salt and i know it seems very extreme i've told my wife this um We've talked about this. I know I, it's a, it, I, 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 listen, I know it's a very extreme film. Um, but I think the fact that it's so extreme is what makes it great. And, and there, there is a lot to be said about it um, mm -hmm. and about what it has to say. So this is definitely a fun one, man. 
Uh, Jaded says, this was the Joker. Yes, this was the Joker movie of its time. A brilliant look into mental health and society as a whole. 100%. I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, there's honestly, now that I think about it, there's a lot of parallels between this and Joker. Yeah, I can really say are. that, yeah. Yeah, even yeah, how the I movie agree. ends. Yeah. Uh, Miguel, final thoughts on American Psycho before we wrap this bad boy up? Um, other, um, yeah, guys, it's just a case study. If you, if you get past all of the shit and gruesome things that happens in that movie and you take it as like a case study for like, you know, the psyche of a, of a, of a man that is so far gone in the whole superficial world, it's a really interesting movie to see like how how grounded in reality are these people are that are so far up in the one percenter uh lifestyle that yeah. they just are no longer in reality they're right. outside of reality and whatnot mm -hmm. and the commentary in there is absolutely spectacular is written really well and everything in this movie is honestly like so well written to the point where even to this day the inter interpretations of this movie still varies from time to time from people from from posters to posters from like uh audience members like the interpretation of this movie can be like 12 different things just like uh patrick bayman's personality so yeah yeah from from that standpoint um if i had to rate this movie i would probably give it like probably give it about like an 8.7 you know decent decently up there you know it's it's high up there in regards to like all the horror, I would agree. horror movies that, that i've seen so far so yeah yeah it's it's a good one man um thank you guys so much for joining us an hour and 45 minutes in if you haven't already be sure to leave this video a like i know some people are already peacing guys we love you thank you so much for hanging out with us we will be back uh in episode number what 15 episode 15 of purely it's hard to believe that we're only at 15 but we we really deep dive into these, which is part of the reason it's so fun um, mm -hmm. to, because it's just, it's deep. And we spend like a lot, like I, even though it might seem like a lot of time in between um, like in between episodes of this show, uh, we take that time to prep and to, to do our commentary and to watch it and go through and make sure we're kind of, like doing our homework and researching these. So these, these are a lot of fun to do um, for episode 15. We will be back for Elm street three dream warriors. We'll be back for dream warriors. So that's going to be a fun one. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. That's going to do it for Miguel and I on episode number 14 of purely and simply evil. We love you guys so much. You guys are amazing. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram at we talk the movies, new episodes of let's talk movies and purely and simply evil premiere every single Tuesday and Saturday at 8 PM and 10 AM Eastern. And we will talk to you soon. Have an awesome rest of your weekend. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Peace. Peace. Listen to Huey Lewis in the news. And get a reservation at Dorcia. Don't write that!